Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by T.J. Eckert of KTL Tulsa Channel 8 as uh, T.J. will join us to talk about the merger between the PGA Tour and Live Golf. We'll have an in-depth discussion with him as well as get the latest that's going on with the uh, Sooners, Cowboys, and the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder when he joins us coming up later on. Plus, we will have a look around the Big 12 Conference, the NBA Finals. Uh, we'll have Coach Bo's football fix coming up later and uh, our Tom Fullery story coming up at the end of today's show. A big one on tap. Thomas Bridges here with us. Tom, uh, how we doing? How, how are you enjoying your uh, your Summer of Jones festivities there? Oh, you know, just staying busy and Adding a couple new DJ gigs and trying to make that money. I mean, the, the summer of Tom is more like the summer to make cash to pay for this new car. Um, so busy, busy, busy uh, so far. So it's that's uh, good though. It's better than not being busy, I guess. So right, like Bill Pollock's got a lot going on. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I wish I had a clone of of myself naming Bill Pollock so he can go make more money. (laughs) Golly, let me tell you. If people only knew the legend of Bill Pollock. Yeah, maybe one day we'll have to... Maybe one one day we'll invite Bill Pollock on. We need Bill Pollock and Tony Smoke in the same room. Oh, Lord, that's a... That's, yeah, that would... That'd be kind of iconic... I don't know if you have a burner, Tom, but I would have to think that would be your burner name, right, Bill Pollock? Well, it's my, you know, get in trouble without an ID name is Will Hartford. Will Hartford. Will Hartford is my 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 official burner name, but Bill Pollock is a quick second. Do you remember the ESPN reporter George Smith? No, because that's the most basic name I've ever heard. So he was like this investigative reporter for ESPN. And I remember as a kid being like, this guy's got the most basic name ever. When I need to give out a fake name, it's going to be George Smith. And like, I would answer like telemarketing calls or fill out things where I didn't want to give out my information. And it was always uh, George Smith. George Smith of Coweta. <laughs> Works at the Bluebell Factor down there. <laughs> George Smith, he's just a uh, blue collar guy, you know, just just serving up that ice cream. Yeah, he services the machines down there in Coweta, Bluebell. He gets all that bacteria. He gets a black coffee from Quick Trip every morning. <laughs> smokes uh, smokes Winston's on his lunch break. <laughs> Old George Smith, fifty two of Coweta. <laughs> not not the investigative reporter formerly of ESPN, not that George Smith. Um I yes, that that was uh that was my code word code name. Uh I remember one time in particular, uh probably my my best run in as George Smith, when I was a kid, there was a telemarketer from Direct TV. And I ended up having like a 45 minute conversation with him 
uh, asking, uh, just getting to know the guy and, you know, if he had any good recipes for cinnamon rolls. Um, oh, God. And, like, turned out he was, like, a youth pastor. And, like, that was uh, – that that was like the big debut for George Smith was getting to know this uh this direct TV telemarketer from Indianapolis that uh that was a youth pastor. Jesus wasn't paying the bills, so he had to go to corporate TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh George Smith should have offered him a job at the uh, the Bluebell. Yeah, yeah, see, yeah, that'd have been perfect. Could have got a cheaper cost of living here in Coweta. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I, I don't even know where to go with that uh neither do i <laughs> you want to talk transition here you go here here's here's my transition my, my pivot here uh how about a better cost of living for the pga tour players now <laughs> yeah no shit that that saudi money baby <laughs> saudi money here we go let's yeah. get going that yeah. desert blood diamond money. Let's go. Right. Saudi Prince, uh, Venas, uh, bringing <laughs> the money over. And, and basically, Tom, like, there's a lot of moving parts in all this. But here is the, the truth of the matter. For those at home that may not know, we're just putting this all together. Okay. Hear me out on this, folks. The nutshell of all this is that the Saudi investment fund, uh, which backs live, is pretty much just buying the PGA Tour and, and creating a company that has the European Tour, the PGA Tour, and the Live Golf Tour under one umbrella. Similar to what we see like when Endeavor bought the WWE, they still have the WWE here. They have the UFC here, and they have these other things. You'll see some cross-promotion between the WWE and the UFC, but they operate as two separate entities. I think with uh, with this whole ordeal here with, with Liv and the PGA, for now, Liv does its thing, PGA does its thing, European Tour does its thing. But at the end of the day, the common goal, what they want to get out of all of this is the best golfers in the world playing together all the time. And my grandmaster plan, what I think is ultimately going to happen at some point, is you are going to see the world's best golfers playing in a certain number of events for you know a certain you know points championship of some sorts where those guys are playing every single week whether it's 18 weeks, 24 weeks, I don't know, similar to like a NASCAR championship or an F1 points championship, something to that effect. I think that's the long-term goal, long-term gain here is to get everybody there at the same place at the same time on the the same type of tour. Maybe you have, you know, some team golf events like Liv does, um, you know, whatever it may be. But I think that's the the end game that we get to, that we try to achieve with all this. Like, Tom, that's what I think. But, like, I, I don't think any of us know for certain here. This all came out of left field, out of nowhere, and was a huge win for, for Liv to get this this merger here. 
Oh yeah, because they had, you know, they had argued for however long, and you know, if you if you listen to what Rory McIlroy had to say, you could tell he was pretty disappointed because he was, you know, went and died on the cross for the PGA, <laughs> uh, and then now like they're like, ah, just kidding. Uh, but you know, I I think as, as surprising as it was, really, um, you know. I think this was kind of inevitable from, you know, hindsight's 2020, but kind of inevitable. It's like, okay, when two big money entities finally stop having their dick measuring contests and realize they can make a lot more money together, um, then I think they were kind of like, all right, well, you know what? Enemies become best friends and uh, let's, you know, kind of like, let's go make a whole lot of money. Um, so I think this was inevitable. It was just kind of like one of those, who's going to stop the, the pissing contest first. Um, I really do like what live brings to the game in terms of, um, kind of that to, to cross reference, like the XFL in terms of how they have like, you know, different rules or, you know, they're more, they're more apt to try new things. I mean, you see at the live events, they got, you know, DJ's playing while the, the main golfers are teeing off, you know, like it's, I, you know, and I think for the PGA at first, they wanted to keep their tradition of, um, you know, what golf's always been like silence and the shiz. And then, you know, live is trying to, well, I say they're trying to bring it into the modern century and they are, but at the same time, I don't know if I a hundred percent trust the motives of, you know, keeping the integrity of the game alive when it's the Saudis that are backing it. Like, you, one's name the last person, name the last international golfer from Saudi Arabia that's been worth the fuck. Nobody. Like, you, yeah, this is horrible of me. But yeah, you go play golf in Saudi Arabia. If, it's, if you're not playing on the courses in Dubai, like, every shot you hit's a sand trap. <laughs> <laughs> You're always in the bunker. You're you know? in the bunker. Yes. I'm going to go to hell for that, but that's not the first thing I'll go to hell for. But yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, so it's all a money thing for them. So it's like, if you think but, about it, which, I mean, it's a money thing for the PGA too, but they always kept this thing of integrity of the game, integrity oh, of the game. Exactly. Like at the end of the day, the almighty dollar is always the winner. And, right. you know, we, we hear for um, a year and a half, two years of the PGA Tour sitting there and saying, you know, on their on their high horse, on this moral high ground, you know, that we're, you know, we're standing up for the 9-11 families. They, they even brought them involved. Oh, did, I didn't see that. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. They brought in the 9-11 families and, and you know, and, and have since them have spoken out against the PGA and said, how dare you turn our backs on us? And, and, you know, Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA tour even said it, it was about a year ago. He said, my message to the live players would be, what would you say to the families that, you know, lost their loved ones on nine 11 and you're taking money from the, you know, same people that helped fund that attack. I'm like, geez, what the hell? You know, I mean, and you know, yeah. This this isn't September twelfth, two thousand one, right? Well, and what it all went back to, 
I said this at the time and, and have been consistent in this messaging in that if you look for far enough, there's there's bad money everywhere. And the PGA Tour, even before all this, had sponsors that were connected to the Saudis themselves. Um, so the PGA Tour had no leg to stand on. And the entire time, while they were painting the, the live and the Saudis and all this as the bad guy and all this, the entire time while this was going on, um, the, the truth of the matter was that the PGA was just trying to fight off its competition, that Liv had more money, that Liv was taking its best talent, and they were using it as a sorry-ass excuse to uh, convince players to stay and not go to Liv and, and try to get people not to watch what Liv was doing. It was it was fun. moral high ground them. Yes, it was all fake. It was all phony. Um, and... You know, it was a joke. And I, I think that the PGA Tour, uh, Jay Monahan looks like a disgrace. Um, all those guys, you know, like, think about this, Tom. You know, I I, I don't feel bad for Rory McIlroy because Rory was an ash throughout all this. Um, you know, he was made out to be like the sacrificial lamb, you know, and the, the voice of the PGA Tour uh, throughout all this, being out the, against the live guys. I don't feel bad for Rory. But think about guys, let's take example, Victor Hovland, okay? Victor, rising star in the sports. He, some of these others who just kept their mouths shut, I'm sure they got nice offers from Liv. And now at the end of the day, they're back to one company and they didn't even get the money that they could have. Like, you know, if you're Tiger Woods even today, you're sitting here. Where's my 800 million that I turned down from live to to be with these guys? I mean, that that to me is the thing that stands out here is those guys that said no to the money, that didn't really say anything at all or anything. And what do they have to show for it? I don't feel bad for Rory. I do feel bad for guys like Victor Hop. Yeah, it's true. I mean, especially him just coming up. I mean, he's. I think he won recently. I think he won this past weekend. Um. But, yeah, I mean, Roy's been in for a while. Roy's the type of guy that's, you know, he, he, he takes me as the guy that, you know, got a brand-new car at 16. You know what I mean? Right. Like, he's, you know, he's not – he didn't come from the mud, you know. So, it's like, you know what, Rory, like, he's Rory's, – Rory's not down with the culture. No, nah, yeah, no. No, he'll never be. He's the uh, – he's the most what PGA would call – uh, integrity-filled player in the game right now. Right. Integrity of the game. You know, air quotes, integrity of the game. Yeah. Um, and I'll say this, too. I told, I, I've done a couple different interviews. Uh, you know, I was on TJ's show and Bo's show and others the past couple days. And I would say, Tom, that... Phil Mickelson is going to go down as the most influential golfer in the history of the game. I know that, that Jack and Arnold helped create the PGA tour and you know what, what tiger did changing things from an athleticism standpoint and being such a marketing star, but for Phil to stand by when it wasn't easy, when, uh, 
you know, he, he was heavily criticized just for a phone call for even considering this. That got leaked. And then to go ahead and do it and be the face of it, to take that paycheck, to take all the, the swings that were headed his direction, and everybody taking pot shots at Phil and making Phil out to be this bad guy. And then Phil ends up finishing second in the Masters. Um, you know, he he's he's played, you know, he had a nice bounce back there. And now all of this gets done. He made he got the changes he wanted. Remember, he, he was wanting to see change within the PGA tour. The PGA's looking drastically different than what it was a year and a half, two years ago, and where Liv is at, and now basically dismantling the organization that is the PGA Tour. Um, Phil Mickelson, he's had a Hall of Fame career as a golfer, but what he's done off the off the course, off the greens, um, I, I'm very curious to see the, the Phil Mickelson documentary someday because he, he changed the sport forever. Oh, yeah. I mean, it'll be... I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm wondering if Phil might get kind of a. I mean, Tiger will get his only. Tiger will get his last dance type thirty for thirty, but I'm wondering what kind of uh, flowers, so to speak, that Phil Mickelson will get when it's all said and done. Uh, I mean, you know, he's he's changed the game more. I mean, he's underrated in terms of changing the game, uh, just because he kind of was in the shadow of Tiger Woods for a while. Um, but now it's obviously Tiger's not playing his best. And then you, you have seen some pretty standout performances from Phil Mickelson here uh, recently. So it'll be very interesting to see, like I said, what, what flowers Phil Mickelson gets when it's all said and done. Yeah. Yeah. I think so uh, for sure. And, and, you know, now we, we see all this plays out, the guys, uh, I'm very curious what the first event will be uh, of when guys are allowed to come back, you know, probably sometime next year. And what's the interactions going to be and how well are they going to be received? And then the media side of things, too. All of a sudden, NBC, CBS, and ESPN are partnering with the Saudi government all of a sudden. Does that affect advertising? Um, you know, does that affect the future TV rights negotiations? going forward here there are a lot of unanswered questions for what is ahead for live in the in the pga tour and how this uh this ultimately shakes out here we're going to talk tj accurate more about this coming up later but it is a uh fascinating story to uh say the least we're going to talk about the nba finals coming up uh later on more on that that series with denver and miami uh but I want to get to uh, this week's Big 12 breakdown. Tom, uh, new developments every single week, it seems, on uh, the realignment front in the Big 12. Let's uh, let's start with Colorado and then kind of work our way from there. Um, Colorado seems like momentum is still there, uh, that nothing has really changed. One thing that I did notice that I think is kind of fascinating for Colorado or really all parties involved is that the narrow, the uh, the grant of rights, uh, we've heard a report that all 10 teams are ready to sign a new grant of rights in the Pac-12, which is the basically signs your life away to the league that says the league 
owns your rights. It's not a TV contract, but it's saying that we're giving you the rights to our TV deals. Um, that all 10 schools have agreed to that verbally, but there's no TV deal in place. And so they haven't signed anything just yet. Um, so with that, that tells me that Colorado or some of these other schools said, yeah, we're not signing the dotted line till we see a TV contract. Like, yeah, in theory, sure, we would stick around, but you don't have anything to show us yet. Clock's ticking. Pac-12 is uh, down to the 11th hour to do something to get a TV deal put together, or they're about to not just lose Colorado, but they're about to lose others as well here. Um, it is, uh, you know, I, I, some people will point to, well, if they're ready to sign a grant of rights, doesn't that mean they're staying? Doesn't, doesn't that mean one thing at all? If, if, if one thing's to be learned from everything we've seen the last two or three years now, Tom, it's, there is no such thing as loyalty. Remember when the, when the big 10, the ACC and the PAC 12 said we were going to have this alliance and we're not going to take teams away from each other. And we're going to schedule uh, non-conference games against each other. And then less than a year later, the Big Ten announced that they were adding USC and UCLA from the Pac-12. So um, until the pin hits the dotted line, uh, no reason to think that uh, Colorado is committed to the the Pac-12 on this, uh, this grant of rights deal. I mean, yeah, they're essentially just going through the motions until, you know, new things unearth themselves, until – you know, just kind of going through the motion motions, kind of playing coy, not, you know, not making, not, not shaking the ground really more than they have to. I mean, look at OU Texas. We didn't hear anything about it until they were like, all right, guys, we're leaving. Um, and they broke a 100 year grant of rights agreement to leave for the SEC. Exactly. So now what? It doesn't mean everything. You know, you will see pro Pac-12 people, I saw them today on Twitter, talking about just that grant of rights thing, and they're like, nobody's going anywhere. We're, we're good. We're fine. We got 10 teams. No, 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 no. That's just lying to yourself. Right. Um, and, and then, like, what I really find funny is, so the Pac-12, as you mentioned, Tom, alluded to, we have heard for them say for months, nobody's leaving. We're all committed to staying here. We're not leaving for that truck stop conference, you know, in the Big 12. And you've heard, you know, Bill Walton and all these others, you know, refer to the Big 12 as a truck stop conference and all this. Um, personally, I like a good truck stop. What's wrong with – have you guys never been to Love's? Love's is Bucky. great. Bucky's, yeah. Like, you take that as an insult. I love a good truck stop. So, you know, up yours. Um, with that said, <laughs> um, you know, if – uh, your Colorado the, the, on this whole narrative thing, the idea has been, you know, that everybody's staying. And now that it seems pretty likely that Colorado's going to the Big 12, all of a sudden we hear, oh, well, you know, they're going to bring in San Diego State and San Diego State will just be a replacement for Colorado and we'll go on business as usual. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. Didn't you just sit through telling us for months and months that everybody was staying, that everybody's fine? And if you're losing Colorado, I'm sorry. That's probably not your only domino to fall here. There's probably more coming beyond that. And and I'm not even saying necessarily that 
that means that everybody's coming to the Big 12 after Colorado. Maybe that's the domino that's needed to fall for Oregon and Washington to be able to go to the Big 10 or something like that. I mean, like the the overconfidence, the ego, and, and all that, I mean, it, it just makes me want to root for the extinction of the Pac-12. Like I am, I'm sitting here, Tom, and my number one priority, and I'm sure you're the same way here, is for the health of the Big 12 to be as strong of conference as possible to expand and and, and to be in the best position possible. But the arrogance of this Pac-12 and the shifting narratives and moving the goalposts and all this, you're making me want to see your conference fail and and, and not succeed here. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it was kind of like uh, you know us first mindset thinking as a fan of the Big Twelve, but then you know, even in the past year and a half, they've been like trashing the Big Twelve, and then you know when OU Texas left, they're oh we're gonna be poaching your teams. Am I how the tables turn? Like surprise, motherfucker! Like we're taking your teams. Like what's up? Like. And then they just keep running their mouth, and it's just like, all right, all right, listen. Right. Uh, it, it's not like they it's, they rarely make the college football playoff anyway, so we might as well just make it the power four teams. Right. So, you know. Now the question then becomes, if Colorado is team number 13, who is team number 14? Because, Tom, it it – doesn't make a whole lot of sense just to add one team, right? Like, okay, Colorado can get the full money package. That's what it sounds like, that they would get all the money. But at 13 teams, then things get complicated as far as how the league operates and all that. You really need need another team. You need to keep even numbers and go to 14. So who is team 14? The easiest answer would be for Arizona to be team 14 and to come with Colorado, and then, you know, maybe Arizona and Arizona State and Utah come with too. Um, maybe you wait on some ACC schools, whatever it may be. The easiest solution is for Arizona to be Team 14. But if that is not on the table, if Arizona decides that they want to stay in the Pac-12 and not go with Colorado, then what do you do? Do you sit at 13? Do you go get UConn, who apparently Brett Yormark is very high on? Um, They just won the basketball national championship. We know they have the best women's basketball program in the country. Um, Their football program, although it's traditionally speaking not good, they did just come off a bowl appearance this past year. Jim Mora, former NFL coach, did a really good job. Um, Or what? What? I said the playoffs. Playoffs, yes. Yeah, that, that, that's his dad. Um, do you go get UConn? Or there's one idea that kind of intrigues me too, Tom. I don't know if the money quite works out, if you can get convinced the TV networks to pay you what it would take. But what about just taking the Pac-12's life preserver of San Diego State? What if you say, you know what? You guys are using San Diego State as your fallback and all this. What if, if you have to have a 14 team, if you have to choose between San Diego State and UConn, let's say you can't get any other Pac-12 schools or any ACC schools and Colorado needs somebody to go with, 
I think I would actually lean towards San Diego State over UConn. Um, better football program. Basketball program's really good, and you weaken your enemy in the Pac-12 in the process, too. I, I think that's, given the choice, I think that would be the direction I'd go if Arizona and others are an option. Right, and I believe West Virginia's already in the eastern time zone. You had San Diego State. So is UCF. Yeah, so you go across the board. and Yeah, yeah, and then so you go across the board and you you snag that Pacific time slot um, and get San Diego State. So, And you know what? As a big Marshall Falk fan, I will gladly welcome, uh, you know, number 28's alum you know I'll, I'll 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 gladly welcome the aztecs um i know your mark wants uconn but but tom like until they really do something with that football program it's it's hard for me to take them seriously as an all sports member i can get behind uconn and gonzaga and those schools as basketball only members but it's hard for me where that football program is to fully commit to UConn uh as a full-time member uh and and then also if if the Big 12 revenue is going to go down like I I need to see if if we're taking UConn to this into this league then the revenue can't drop significantly it's got to stay the same and UConn's got to prove a commitment to their football program that they're going to invest in and, and do what it takes to compete. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so if they want in, if if they think they have what it takes, or they, I mean, you'd have to make some some promises to to get it where it needs to be. Um, you know, just because overall, I mean, the better option currently would be San Diego State, and that's not to detract from my thinking that UConn's not a great school and I'd, you know, gladly welcome them into the Big 12 too, but if I had to pick, obviously I'm going to pick San Diego State. I'd much rather also go to an away game in San Diego than than I would. Yeah, exactly. Um, From a fan perspective. Now, the basketball only idea, let's talk about that real quick uh, before we discuss the NBA Finals here. Um, Gonzaga and UConn as basketball only members. Um, we know that your mark wants a separate TV contract for the basketball programs in the next TV deal. Um, but that's still, you know, five, six years away from now. Uh, so you would be, unless you can renegotiate somehow, taking money away from the schools that are already members in your league. Um, maybe you could create another TV package, whatever it may be. But if we're just talking basketball only members, I'm fine with UConn and, and Gonzaga. We can make that work. That can be doable. And, and and I think it'd be exciting to have two national brands, national champion brands in the league in basketball. But the bridge too far for me right now, at least, until we get better num- money numbers as UConn is a full-time member. I'm not opposed to both UConn and Gonzaga, though, as, as basketball members. With Gonzaga, I do wonder, what is Gonzaga without Mark Few? Because their entire identity as a program is Mark Few. I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, I think 
I think they've kind of built themselves up though as a kind of a premier basketball program in the in the Northwest. That I think you know, I think they would be fine without him. Uh, I mean, you know, it would be. I mean, what was TCU with um, with old Gary? You know, right. That was kind of her identity. That's um, a fair you know, and then first, what, first year without him, they're like, oh, you know what? Fuck Gary, we're going to the playoff. Right. I mean, uh, didn't, uh, didn't Duke, though, I mean, I, I know that they went to the, uh, you know, the second round of the tournament, um, and, and they won the ACC tournament, but didn't Duke not feel like themselves with John Shire, uh, Shire's their head coach as opposed to Coach K. Didn't it feel like they weren't themselves? I mean, yeah, but you could say the same thing for, like, uh, you know, UNC. I mean, Hubert Davis took him to the national championship his first year. Right. So, I mean, there is success there without that, you know, person. You know, no Roy Williams, no Coach K. You know, and no Gary, you know, for TCU. So, it's like, well, can be done. Right. Uh, and we've seen it as of recently, you know, maybe more so basketball, I'd say. Like, I mean, let's say Bill Self retired for, you know, knock on wood for you. Right. Um, but, but for health reasons or other reasons, uh, I mean, I think KU would st- – obviously, KU is more of a blue chip than Gonzaga. Just Right. I mean, KU's been to Final Fours with five different coaches. Right. Right, right. And so, I mean, I, they, I, you know, I think they would be fine too, but, and I'm not putting Gonzaga up there with the Dukes, UNC's, KU's by any means, but, um, I mean, back to the well, TCU okay, thing. Here, I mean, here's a good I, example. I think they'd be fine. Tom, Tom I, here's a good example of what we're, we're wondering of what's Gonzaga without Mark Few. Think about what's OSU basketball since Eddie Sutton. That, yeah, that's fair. Lackluster at best. See, like, Gonzaga very well could be just fine without Mark Few, but we don't know that answer right now. So, uh, we'll see. More uh, more coming up uh, here on uh, the Jones Report. Uh, T.J. Eckert coming by a little later. Tom Fullery as well. Uh, but uh, we'll shift gears now, talk about the NBA Finals between the Denver Nuggets in the Miami Heat, as uh, we saw in uh, game number three, the Denver Nuggets getting uh, a big-time win on the road against the Miami Heat, 109-94. to Denver now leading the series two games to one after a just dominating performance from the Joker with uh, 32 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists. Jamal Murray with 34 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. Uh, both of them were, uh, just fantastic. And, you know, when, when you look at these two as a duo of Jamal Murray and, and the Joker of Jokic, I mean, are they the, the best combo we've ever seen? Not, not by any means, but they're one of the best combos we've seen that plays together so well and complements each other and what they're looking for, you know? I think back, you know, when when people talk about duos, right, you know, in my era, in my lifetime, it was Shaq and Kobe, right? Um, 
And, you know, before that, you know, my parents' era was MJ and Scottie Pippen, and you go on down the line. But what you think of is, you know, if you could build your ideal team um, and could have two star players, one would be a big and one would be a guard. And that's what the Nuggets have. Two players that fit each other of what their teams are looking for. And Jokic and Jamal Murray. And they're on the same page. And when they're both on, they're unstoppable. They can't be beat. And we've seen that time and time again throughout this postseason. We've seen that here in the NBA Finals. And you look back at game two, credit to Miami. Eric Spalstra is looking like he might be the best coach in the NBA at this point. But the truth of the matter is that he is outmatched, that Denver is simply a better team than Miami is at this point in time. Um, Denver's got more talent. Miami, it's a great story. It's quite the accomplishment that they've been, you know, that they got here and that they've won a game and everything with that. But they're they're overmatched, overworked. And in Spolstra, credit where credit's due, he's done a great job with that team, the undrafted players they have with what Pat Riley has done to assemble that roster, they deserve a lot of credit. But this Denver team is just too good uh, to be slowed down by by Miami. They have they have met a team that is that is too much for them to handle at this point. And you know you, you look at Jimmy Butler; he had twenty eight points in Game Three. Uh, Bam was fantastic, twenty two and seventeen. Uh, of what he was able to do. I mean, it was it was a great showing uh, for for Bam and and Jimmy had a good night. But for Miami to have a chance in this series, they have to have playoff Jimmy Butler go off pretty much every single night in this postseason. That's what has to happen for them to win this series. Not only can't you defensively, you can't have. Jamal Murray and Jokic play well. You got to slow down one of the two. But also, Jimmy Butler's got to play great every time for them to have a chance. We saw him score 28 in game two, and that was a good performance. But game one was not Jimmy's best night six of 14, 13 points. Um, And then on Wednesday, in that game there, he had a, you know, he had 28, but it wasn't the, 35, 40 point performance. I know it's a lot to ask, and Jimmy has been put through a lot in this postseason. But if they're going to win this series, we we got to see like 35 plus from Jimmy. I, I know that it's it, it's a tall task, but that's what it would take. And ultimately, I think that's going to be too much. And you know, I, I think one of the best stories to come out of this postseason is, is Joker just proving everybody wrong. And, and myself included, Thomas Bridges included, um, you know, we, we've we've had our doubts about Joker at times. We've seen in the past in the postseason where he didn't step up. When it came crunch time that he folded, that he didn't play well when he needed to, when it mattered most. That has happened in the past. But as the saying goes, sometimes you have to lose some to win some. And I think we're seeing Joker has been there, done that, 
He's been through the hard times. He's seen how difficult it can be sometimes. And he's overcoming that. He, he's faced adversity. He's been there before. And we're seeing that experience, that veteran play that he has now, pay off. And so I'm excited for him that uh, that he's reaching his climax, that he's getting to that point in his career. It's a terrific story on his part to be able to reach this point and do this thing. It it, it speaks volumes to how far he's come uh, in you know this period of time, that he faced the adversity and he's overcome it, that he's powered through and that he's shown why that you know, he he's worthy to be here. And, and I think when it's all said and done here, not only talking about Joker being an NBA champion along with Jamal Murray and Mike Malone, and there was doubts about Mike Malone at 1.2, not only are we talking about them being NBA champions, more than likely when this is all said and done, but also we're looking at, I think, Joker – is well on his way to be finals MVP and well on his way, if he isn't already, to, without question, calling himself the best player in the world. The best player in basketball is Nikola Jokic. He is him. He is that guy. And I think when we look back, you know, at at turning points in guys' careers and the stories and you know, at the NBA Finals and everything, we'll point to this year and and we'll point to and say that was the turning point, that Jokic put it together in the postseason, that he brought home the title to Denver, and that he proved why he's the best player in the world. This is one of those turning point moments. And it's a hell of a story. And, you know, Joker, I know that it's tough to market a guy like Joker. Um, you know, playing in Denver, small market team and all these things. It's not the sexy thing to say that Joker's the best player in the league. It's not the thing that's necessarily going to sell, you know, uh, magazine copies of Slam or NBA 2K, putting Jokic on the cover. But that's who it is. This is Joker's NBA. This is the Nuggets championship. And here's the thing. When I look beyond this, and granted, they still have to finish it off, obviously, and get the job done. But I think we sit here, feel pretty confident that they are going to take care of business, okay? What I sit here and wonder is, going forward, Jokic and and Jamal Murray and the Nuggets, they've dominated the way they have. This has been their postseason. But what about after this year? I I think they're going to be a contender. I don't think they're going anywhere. I'm hesitant on the whole dynasty idea. You know, as a Thunder fan like I am, I don't sit here and I'm not fearful of the Denver Nuggets of kind of like what we looked at the Golden State Warriors a couple years ago where it's like, oh, man, how are you ever going to get through the Warriors? Or when LeBron went to the Heat and joined – Dwayne Wade, how are you going to get through the heat? You know, I, I don't think they're at that level, but they are accomplished in their own right to get to this point and be here. And they're going to be a contending team. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Dynasty, that's a stretch, but a serious threat, somebody you're going to have to go through every year. Watch out for the Denver Nuggets. It's uh, it's going to be something else. And 
I, I think this series gets done in probably probably five. Two more, they take care of business. Might go to six. Might uh, get one more win from Miami. But it's it's just simple. It doesn't take a genius to just look at these two and see which one is overmatched. Uh, one more NBA, NBA note before we bring in uh, TJ here. Chris Paul, uh, likely done in Phoenix, whether he's waived or traded. I know there was conflicting reports uh, about his future. Um, I'll say this. The L.A. Lakers, right? Uh, we've known about Chris Paul and LeBron. We've known about Chris Paul and the Lakers. And trying to make those marriages happen over the years, it's just never worked out one way or the other. And Chris Paul's even been in Los Angeles with the Clippers, right? Um, he is older now. He's not the player that he was a couple of years ago. And he's dealt with some injuries. This might be like when Steve Nash joined the Lakers at this point in his career, where Steve just, everybody was excited about that, and it was just the end. There was nothing left. That might end up what this is. But I, I think that's the inevitable here. I don't know if Kyrie's coming with. I don't think LeBron is going to Dallas. Uh, I don't see that happening. But Chris Paul in L.A., that sounds like that makes a lot of sense. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. And you look at that Laker team. D'Angelo Russell was very good. Schroeder was solid. Add another guard there. I know we hear in the NCAA tournament, guards win in March. Guards also win in June in the NBA. And if they can have a healthy Chris Paul, he can make a big, imp a big impact still, even at this age in his career. He's still a good passer. They can just keep him healthy and he can pass the football or football, pass the bat of the ball and distribute. Could be interesting. Very well could be. TJ Acker gonna join us next. Uh Coach Bo standing by as well. And uh Tom Fullery. All that and more as we continue. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Jones Report. Joining us now, Jones Sport this week. Please do welcome in from KTL Tulsa Channel 8. TJ Eckert is here as uh, we are talking uh, about things not only going on in Oklahoma, but TJ, a big golf guy, had to get his insights on uh, the Live and PGA Tour merger as he joins us right now. TJ, a uh, pleasure to talk to you, my friend. How are things going? Tyler, good talking to you again. It's always fun getting the chat and always nice when our worlds collide. No, you know, you being an Okie, so it's fun getting to talk some Oklahoma stuff. But, yeah, it's not just Oklahoma stuff that's that's in the news right now. Yeah. Uh, I remember the last time we talked was right before the uh, the PGA Championship in Tulsa and yep. was a successful event. And the Live Golf event this past year was in my hometown in Broken Arrow and was a great job. Now here we are, uh, you know, just a month or so after that Live event and a year plus since uh, the PGA Championship came to town and – we have this PGA Tour and Live Golf merger. Obviously, the PGA Tour and the PGA uh, of America are two separate entities for folks that don't know. But just what was your initial reaction to finding out this news of uh, this merger here? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Tyler. We we got asked that a couple times when the announcement came down. Did anybody say anything about this when Liv was in Tulsa? And the answer is no. I think, you know, honest, what came out is that the players, really nobody had any idea this was happening. And so, yeah, you know, I was shocked. You know, it felt like at some point there was going to be some sort of resolution 
But I think many people just assumed that Liv would just disband and it would be over with. But that was never going to happen. And so this feels like for the BGA Tour, probably, I don't want to say best case scenario, but they, they couldn't avoid Liv. Liv wasn't going to go away. In fact, Liv might have gotten even stronger if they didn't do this. So uh, still shocked because of all the the past couple of years with Jay Monahan and what he has said, about you know no live golfer ever be allowed back on the PGA tour. We, there was this true hatred for for live. Roy McIlroy this week saying that he hates live. So that's how the PGA tour guys feel. But now that they're kind of coming together, uh, very surprising to say the least, and interesting to see what's going to happen because we don't have a lot of details of exactly what will happen with this merger. I remember uh, when we were talking about last year before live even technically existed and. Phil Mickelson was uh, sitting out the PGA and the Masters. Uh, you and I both saying, you know, hey, we're we're opening competition and seeing what these these tours can do. You know, best man wins. You know, hope Liv and PGA can both be successful. Now here we are, and with uh with, with this outcome, and and at the end of the day, I look at the PGA Tour of, of doing this. The the ultimate hypocrisy here. Everything that they said. Yep. You know, they they were talking with one end of their mouth and doing something on the other end here. I mean, it, it everything that they're doing here goes against exactly what they've said for the last two years, right? It's exactly right. So, and you know, and you're right because we talked about this last year. Do we, do we, or do we approve of where the money comes from for Live initially when we were talking about that? No, you know, I mean, but there's Saudi Arabia money everywhere, so we're not going to get too deep in the weeds on that. The PGA Tour did, and so they opened themselves up to this being hypocritical. Because, but they did it themselves. Everything Jay Monahan said a year ago, two years ago about Live, about where the money's coming from, about 9-11 and how they're they're going against the 9-11 families. Well, that's come back to bite them in the butt now, too. So they've kind of brought this on themselves. And Tyler, there's been plenty of talks in the past with Jay Monahan about working together with whether it's Live or any other league that was being created during that time. And he constantly said no. And so now that this league has kind of started to get going, talking about live and and the momentum's kind of building, now he felt like it was necessary to to join. And so it's gone completely against what they've said for years. It's gone completely against what the players thought was going to happen for the past couple of years. That they had that player meeting earlier this week about live and about them merging, and the players were upset and rightfully so. They had no idea. They, it's a player run organization, apparently, is what they right. call it. But the players had no idea. Yeah, it it blows my mind uh, that it worked out the uh, the way it did to get to this point, and and so with that, uh, now these two entities and also the European tour as well. What what do you think this ultimately looks like? Do we see all three of these tours still operate as they are? Or do you think we eventually get to a point where we're talking about one worldwide golf league here? You know, if you listen to what the PGA Tour guys think, they feel like this is going to make live become obsolete. I don't know if that's going to be true or not. What it feels like, and they mentioned this in the the press release of the announcement, Tyler, is that they still want to have some form of team golf. That's coming from the PGA Tour. They like some of the elements of the team golf that Liv has. So at least for this year, 2023, the Liv season is still going to play out. They'll still do their own thing. But when next year rolls around, I don't know if they're going to let Liv have their own calendar and the, the PGA Tour guys just kind of bounce back and forth and do whatever they want to do and the, let there be no penalty from going back and forth because there is an advantage to that for some of the, the high-profile guys. They don't want to go play you know, the John Deere Classic or the 3M Open. They, those are normally off weeks for them. But if they can go play 
uh, 54-hole event for guaranteed money, they're going to probably do that, which is similar to what they used to have with what was called the World Golf Championships. They used to have those WGCs. There are no cuts, big money events. So that might turn into that. Liv might have a reduced schedule, but allow these guys to go play, you know, six, seven, eight events outside of what they normally would. Maybe go play around the world because Liv has been big on trying to play in places that the PGA Tour just doesn't go to. So I don't know. I, I Ultimately, I think the merger is a true merger in that these leagues will come together and the schedules will kind of run alongside each other. That was kind of the intention all along from Greg Norman and Liv was to not take over the PGA Tour, but to just run alongside of it. That's why all their events are run not during majors, not during big events. They're run during the kind of smaller events to give those big name guys chances. And so that's probably going to be my best guess at this point with the information we have is that they're going to run kind of side by side, at least for now. What I've been telling people, uh, TJ, I'm curious what you think about this. Ideally, you know, what what we want to see, I think, as a consumer is for all the best golfers in the world to be on the courts at the same time in some way, shape, or form. I would like to see whether it's like you mentioned, like a world golf championship idea of a set number of events, or if it's one combined league, whatever it is, do it like what we see in, in, in motorsports, like a NASCAR F1 or something where, Hey, these are the X number of events. They are for the points title. And at the end of it, you know, we have a points championship points champion, and you got to be in every single event to, to qualify to win that championship and have that matter. That's what I would ideally like to see. What say you? That's a great point. And, you know, part of the problem right now, Tyler, is that there's so many events on the PJ Tour calendar. The DP World Tour, the European Tour has got so many events. And then you get throw in live. So for a consumer, a golf fan, I mean, I'm going to watch any golf. But right. for people who just want to tune in, there's so much golf to watch. That can be a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. Like, what am I supposed to, if I'm a casual golf fan, how am I supposed to know which event is the one I need to watch, the more important event I need to watch. Ultimately, I think them coming together means, to your point, that all the best players in the world will be playing together more often. And that ulti—that's for me, that's the biggest takeaway, and it should be the biggest takeaway for all golf fans, is that you don't have to agree with Liv's, all of Liv's uh, you know, rules and the way they play the game or the where the money came from. You can't really make that argument anymore with the public investment fund buying into the PGA Tour now, basically. But... It's the best players in the world playing all together at the same time, and, and that's something that I think we can all get behind. I, I'm curious to see what ideas from Liv they keep around. Like, are they going to be all the guys going to be wearing shorts now? Are, is there going to be music on the golf course? I don't think Augusta National is going to have club music playing on their tee boxes, but there are some events that I think, you know, spice it up a little bit, play a little bit more music. Have The 54-hole events are great. The shotgun start for a smaller field was fantastic when it was here uh, at Cedar Ridge. Yeah. I loved it. For as a media person, you would appreciate this. We were in and out of there in six, seven hours. You know, if you cover the PGA Championship, which I loved, yeah. you're there for 14, 15 hours because of all the tee times. So there, there's some benefits that Liv was doing that I think and hope that the PGA Tour might adopt as well. I thought it, the the Liv event is great for TV too, that you're yeah. getting everybody on the course at the same time. You follow the action where uh wherever they are not waiting for the staggered starts or whatever it may be yeah. you know i i think it's a great format a lot of good ideas with with live there and so uh with, with that said kind of going forward the the majors obviously do their own thing but do you think that we we see uh here relatively soon with the live guys some type of you know the 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 world uh you know golf ranking points mm. get added or what, what what do you think uh 
we see when it comes to this effect on, on the majors? Does that get fast-tracked for these guys can start getting those world golf ranking points to be eligible now? You would like to think so. I don't know how long that's going to take. Um, ultimately, Tyler, what it's come down to is the world golf ranking, the committee or the group that decides that has continued to say that their style of play, their style of tournaments doesn't line up with what it takes to get world ranking points. And so it'll be interesting now if it's just a fair and open league that anybody can join, will they get those points? I, I've always thought they should get them anyway. I mean, they're good fields. I mean, some of the best players in the world are there. So there's some hope it gets... for Liv had better fields than the PGA Tour. Exactly right. So I'm hoping at some point that's what ends up happening is that these guys get the points that they really deserve. I think also just kind of back to the PGA Tour and what's going to change. The elevated event schedule that they've they've done this year to kind of compete with Liv has a worn out the players because they've had so many they've had to play so much more than normal, and then B it's kind of hard to follow. So I'm hoping that. By now merging everybody together, we can kind of fix the schedule a little bit because it's it's gotten confusing for fans and it's gotten taxing on some of these players as well. Uh, we work in the media, obviously. What do you think is going through the minds of these executives that work for ESPN, NBC, CBS that are partnering with the PGA Tour that now all of a sudden you're doing business with the Saudi government now too? That's uh, that I imagine that's going to change things a little bit it'd be very i'll be very curious to see what advertisers are going to stay on board the pga tour over these next few weeks or if anything changes at all yeah and you know it's funny that the past the the two big announcements for live last year was their first event it was during the rbc canadian open and then this year when they announced the merger is again during the rbc canadian Open. and an rbc is a big sponsor of the pga tour but they also do a lot of money in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, it's funny how those things are kind of connected. But I would imagine that that TV companies, I don't know what's really going through their minds, but I would hope that with all this influx of money, that there would hopefully, in terms of the telecast and the viewing product, would not be as many commercials. That's been the biggest gripe for golf fans with PGA Tour is all the commercials that they run. And part of it's because they just didn't have as much money. And so now I'm hoping that the influx of money that's come in, maybe they're able to invest a little bit more in, I don't know, less commercial time showing more golf shots. But I would imagine that if they're if you're really struggling with the moral side of things of fighting with Saudi Arabia and, and using Saudi money, there will probably be some sponsors who who decide to drop out with this announcement. Yeah, I don't know. I would think so. Um all of this on the heels of the uh, US Open coming up next week from Los Angeles Country Club. Um, I love it when they do these majors on the West Coast so we can get some primetime golf. TJ, uh, what's your expectations for uh, next week when the U.S. Open happens? LACC is a fairly unknown course for people outside of California or outside of the West Coast just because they never haven't been there recently. But it's beautiful. I haven't played it, so I'm not going to act like I know all about it. But I've watched plenty of videos about the golf course. I've looked at the golf course. It's awesome. I think it's going to be a really good test. Uh, the Playboy Mansion, by the way, is on Los Angeles Country Club. So oh. I don't know if we'll get any airtime on the Playboy Mansion, but it is there. I had so, no idea. Yeah, it's on the it's on the left side of one of the greens. I don't know what hole it is. And there's two courses there, I'm pretty sure, at LACC. So they may not be using that hole. I don't know. But okay. keep an Nobody eye out for that. John Daly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, John Daly would be a frequent visitor of the Playboy Mansion. So <laughs> I, uh, I'll be curious to see how it looks and how it plays. You know, they went to uh, Harding Park up in San Francisco a few years ago for the PGA, and that turned out to be a great test. Uh, they've got Riviera there in L.A. that they go to every year for the Genesis, and that's always a great test. So I'm excited to see how this course plays. I, I think it's not going to be a true U.S. Open test in terms of, like, long, thick, rough, and 
firm, fast greens. I think the, the greens will be firm and fast, but there's a lot of short grass at this course. So not to get too nerdy, but it's going to play a little different than what you might expect for U.S. Open. I'm excited to watch it. Who are uh, some of the favorites? Who are some of the guys you're watching for? Yeah, I think, you know, anytime you're going over to L.A. or going into a U.S. Open, the first name that comes to mind is John Rahm. I mean, he's just played well in the U.S. Open. He's played well in California. Um, so I think that's probably a name you, you got to keep keep in the back of your mind. Brooks Kepka appears to be back to his I only care about winning major championships mindset. And that's and he just won the PGA. So that's a guy I would keep an eye on. There's a couple guys, one in particular that I'm interested to see how he plays. Max Homa is from the L.A. area. I think that's going to be a crowd favorite and he tends to play well in L.A. So I'd love to see him play well there as well. I think what will be interesting, Tyler, is to see if another live guy wins another major championship. You know, Kepka winning there in uh, up in New York was was interesting, right? It was it mm-hmm. was fun. It was fun seeing those storylines play out. And I'll be curious to see if another guy, I don't know who it would be. You know, Dustin Johnson doesn't have a great track record. He did win in Oakmont, but not on this type of golf course. So uh, that that's the storyline I'm looking for is another live guy to win. But Max Homa would be, for me, uh, that would be like a fan favorite pick for him to win. Wouldn't we full circle if, uh, with all this live stuff, if Phil finds a way to be in contention? Uh, and not to mention how much he struggled in the U.S. Open over the years, coming so close. Uh that, that could be a, a fun storyline. Uh, we, we weren't expecting him to compete at Augusta. Then the, there he was there at the end. Yeah, he and he, win, he wins the PGA at Kiowa Island a couple of years ago that nobody was expecting. And then, yeah, him him contending at the Masters was shocking because he has not played well on Liv. He didn't play well at Liv Tulsa either. So, yeah, that, first off, that would be shocking if he's right. in, in the hunt for uh, this U.S. Open. But never won one before. Phil likes to you know, feel the thrill, right? He loves to kind of just be up there out in front and center and – and he has been on social media. If you follow him on Twitter, man, he has been hammering people on on there. So it would be fun to see him uh, down the stretch on a Sunday. Yeah, I think so. Uh, TJ, let's shift gears now. Uh, let's talk some uh, college football, starting with uh, the Sooners there. Talent's there, no question about it. With what they've done, uh, high school talent, transfer portal, really good. Year mm-hmm. two under Brent Venables. Can they put it all together now? It's a good question, and – you know, the the thing last year was they expected a pretty immediate improvement on the defensive side of the ball, and they just didn't really have that. And so I think a lot of OU fans have gotten gun-shy and gotten a little nervous, like we brought this guy in to fix the culture, fix the defense. Well, that stuff doesn't just happen overnight, unfortunately. OU fans, as you know, very patient in nature. So, <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm hoping it looks like this year, They've gotten some really good pieces on the defensive side of the ball out of the transfer portal. I love Desan McCullough. I think he's going to be a really good fit at safety. I think he's he's turned into a really solid player. They've got a couple other guys. that Trace Ford, Eben Santa Fe, went to Oklahoma State. Now he's at OU. I think he can be an impact player on the defensive line. Billy Bowman's back. So there's a bunch of guys on the defensive side of the ball that you could call impact players. In fact, so much so that there's more on that side than there is on the offensive side, in my opinion. So that'll be the question for me. I think the defense takes a big jump this year in 2023. The question is, can the offense kind of, they weren't really, weren't that explosive last year. So can they find some explosiveness this year with a bunch of new faces? Dylan Gabriel's back, but who's the number one wide receiver? I mean, they don't, you know, there's so many guys that left and they didn't really have a true number one last year. Marvin Mims obviously was, was the guy. But who's it going to be this year? Jaleel Farouk might be that guy. But other than that, I mean, there's some question marks around the offense. And and that's, as you know, Tyler, very rare for an Oklahoma offense. Yeah, uh, it is. And, and I look at Dylan Gabriel. I, I could see a number of things happening. If 
if everything goes right, TJ, I think he could play his way into being a first-round draft pick. But if things go bad, I mean, then then what do you do here? I mean, it, it is I, – I feel like he is the ultimate wild card for this season here. He is, and he's done a good job. I thought last year he played just fine. Like he was – I wouldn't call him a game manager. He's a little bit better than that. But he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't really force a lot of throws. He did – sometimes he would – struggle on the deep ball but for the most part i thought he took care of the football pretty well and because he wasn't a heisman front runner or first round pick people hammered him that's just what they're used to in ou right they're used to those heisman guys they're used to those lincoln riley qbs that go up and just light up scoreboards and you know gabriel just didn't do that this past year so it'll be really interesting that's something i'm keeping an eye on too because you remember a couple years ago when spencer rattler struggled fans started chanting for caleb williams ultimately he came in and played great now he's at usc doing great things on the heisman trophy how long does it take for ou fans to get impatient and start calling for jackson arnold to come in the true freshman one of the top quarterbacks in the country that's that's something i'm going to keep an eye on because ou fans i made the joke they're not patient they're incredibly impatient and so if there's any type of struggle or prolonged struggle i wouldn't be surprised to see ou fans start calling for Jackson Arnold. There's some already who are, and that just won't happen right now, but I would not be surprised to see that. Well, and and, and Jackson Arnold, I, I think he's going to be a terrific talent. He's got a bright future, but sure. you know, seeing where he came from here in, in Dallas, in, in Denton, um, very Mickey Mouse offense, if you want to call it that, very <laughs> yep. cookie cutter. Um, just the, the level of play adjustment of of what he's jumping into with, uh, with Jeff Levy here, I, I mean – like I said, I'm very high on Jackson Arnold. I think he's going to be great, but there, there, there's no way that I think he's going to be ready to step in day one, coming from where he was at previous. Well, and you know, then that's that's you're absolutely right. And the fact the problem is is that OU fans saw Caleb Williams come in as a true freshman <laughs> and and just dominate, light people up. But Caleb Williams is a different breed of quarterback, and so you can't have that expectation for a guy just because it's you've seen it happen before. So I agree with you. I think he's going to be a great quarterback. I think he's in a perfect spot right now to learn from Dylan Gabriel for a year and then take over the offense next season. Now, he may be able to get in some games at the beginning of the season with blowouts, get some good competitive reps under his belt, and then if Gabriel struggles, you know, doesn't hopefully we don't want this to happen. If he gets hurt, you got a guy that's ready in the wings. But I think if they turn to Jackson Arnold, at least right now in my mind, I feel like that would be a little bit too soon. So, but I agree. I think he's going to be really good. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, TJ, uh, one more thing I know you, then we'll move on and talk about the pokes here. Um, going to the SEC next year, a lot of excitement. Eight game schedule, I think, actually works out pretty good for OU uh, mm-hmm. in that sense uh, to, you know, find some more non conference opponents and keep things easy, get those wins there. But as much hype as there is and excitement at the SEC, there's still some unfinished business here in the Big 12. I think you want to obviously go out on top. You got something to prove here. Um, going in with with your best foot forward, uh, you know, into SEC play here, a, a lot to still figure out and, and manage here in this final year of the Big 12 to, to see if this program is even ready for that next step to the SEC. Yeah, and, you know, especially coming off a year where you did not appear you were ready to go to the SEC. I think – I think I said it last year when talking with people about the the coaching change. It feels like a great time because you're going to get Venables two seasons to A, learn how to be a head coach, but B, get his culture and his team and his staff, get that all situated before you make that jump. If he had 
you know, if Lincoln Riley left after this season and you had to do something, that would make it really challenging. But, you know, Venables has another year to kind of figure things out. Uh, I, the, the Big 12, at least in June, doesn't appear to be as strong as past Big 12s in terms of, you know, just the overall depth of the conference. I think Kansas State's really good. TCU just made the national championship. Texas has can always be a threat, but I don't I don't see the depth of the Big Twelve this year compared to last year. Even I think TCU takes a step back. I don't Oklahoma State. We're about to talk about them. I'm not. I don't know what to expect from them. Yeah. So it, feel, it feels like a really good chance for Venables and company to really have a solid step up. I mean, I think a, I think a good floor, Tyler. This is not being overdramatic. I don't think. I mean, a floor would be looking at the schedule nine eight nine wins. I mean, they don't have their toughest game are all at home. And then they have OU, they have Texas there in Dallas, obviously. But the schedule doesn't really lend itself to too many really tough, impossible games. I think going to Provo will be hard. But, I mean, I think the schedule lends itself to win eight, nine games. I think realistically, you should be happy if you're a 10-win football team. You win yeah. 10 games, that's, uh, that's great in, uh, as far as that goes. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Oklahoma State. Pressure's on Mike Gundy uh, here in Stillwater. Uh, I, I would I would think this is the the hottest his seat has probably ever been. I think so. You know, he had all that stuff come out with the uh, the OAN shirt and the Chuba Hubbard stuff, and and I think that's really what got his seat hot. And then it's kind of held true since that point. You know, they had a good year. They win the Fiesta Bowl. They go to beat Notre Dame, but last year was a struggle and. They lost so many guys from last year's roster that were contributors. Now, they weren't all that good last year, so they the guys they lose are guys from not a great team, but they were experienced starters. They lost a bunch of senior leaders because they were graduating. So it's an in- interesting season coming here. You know, you, you have a new defensive coordinator that you're breaking in as well. So there's just so much unknown in Stillwater this year. And I think Coach Gundy's got to, like, change things up a little bit from the way he's been in the past. I think he feels like he has unlimited job security, but he's kind of just kind of, I don't want to say checked out. That's, that's the wrong way to say it, but in a, in a outside looking in, it feels that way. It doesn't feel like he's as invested. It doesn't feel like he's as into practices when we're there. He's just, he's kind of like a CEO. And he, he said that before he kind of just lets his employees, his assistants do most of the coaching, but it's like, you're the Don't figurehead the of the motion. program. Yeah. You're the figurehead of the program. Like that's you need to be more present. You need to be more out there and outspoken. But again, it, there's so much unknown going into the season that it it feels like, to your point, they could put it all together and win seven, eight, nine games and and shock some people. But there's also the flip side of that where they could really struggle and, and struggle to make a bowl game even. Well, and, and we talked about Oklahoma, their transition to the SEC. For Oklahoma State, this feels like a, a time of transition for them in you know heading towards this new Big Twelve and. Not even mentioning Colorado or Arizona or anything like that. Just with what we know of the 14 teams yeah. that are there, I, I guess 12 teams, uh, you know, in the future here. This is a time for them to really have an opportunity to take over and be the face and uh, of this league and, and and be the powerhouse program here uh, that they've never been in, in the Big 12. This is a, a huge opportunity ahead for them that they they have to capitalize on. Have to. They have that vision plan coming out where they're building new facilities for other sports. Football, I think, is getting some improvements. I think Boone Pickens has been getting updated throughout the offseason. But there's this is you're right. It feels like they should be the best position program to kind of take over football specifically. 
once OU and Texas leave. But now it, it just feels like Kansas State's got something going with Chris Kleiman. I love Chris Kleiman. I think they got yeah, a great good. thing going there. He's such a good coach. They're tough. Uh, they're fun to watch. That's a team I think, honestly, right now, would I would be the one, I would pick them to be the team that kind of takes over the mantle. Honestly, I think Oklahoma State should though. I mean that that's they've been probably the you can even call them the second most consistent program in the Big Twelve ahead of Texas. I mean Texas has had so many struggles in the past decade or so. I think you could call OSU the second most consistent program in the Big 12, but right now it just doesn't feel like they're set up for that type of success, and they should be because I think that they're the school that can really kind of carry the flag for the league in this into this, whatever you want to call it, new era. But they got to figure it out this year. I think if they can get something going this year, new defense, Mike Gunny again gets a little bit more invested, at least from external view, then I think that that's – I think they can be the team that, as I said, carries the flag going forward. Last thing, uh, we'll end on this. Uh, the Thunder hold that uh, draft pick at 12. A lot of excitement about that team and and their very bright future ahead. What does draft night look like for Oklahoma City? They still have a ton of picks in the future, too. Do you think they stay there at 12, or do we see them possibly move up and, and get somebody else? I'd be curious to see who's high on Sam Presti's board. I don't ever pretend to know what Presti's going to do on draft night. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think anybody can. It's He's just... Some of the stuff he does, you just scratch your head at, but it ends up working out. I would imagine that if they have someone they like in like the top five, I would imagine they'll try and move up. I don't. There's no reason not to. Now that I'm assuming they want to keep their assets that they have on the current roster. You know, people were throwing around ideas of trading Chet or trading Josh Giddy to get into to get to Victor Wembanyama. It's like, come on, I don't think they're going to do that. But moving up to inside the top eight, top seven, if you got a guy there you like, I don't know. I don't see why you don't. I don't know what I would expect from them in terms of a pick. You know, I I feel like they they need some more scoring guards. Like yeah. three, you know, that's just you need you need that in the NBA. Cuz when you're bringing in you're bringing back Chet Holmgren hopefully, assuming he's healthy and doesn't and stays healthy. So I don't know if you really need like a big, but I I would like to see them get some sort of scoring dynamic guard. Although, you know, was it was the kid from Alabama, Brandon Miller, Brandon right? Miller, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, they've that's kind of been the one that I've seen get thrown around down at that 12 spot and then I think Jordan Hawkins is the other one from Yukon. Um I think it's Jordan Hawkins. Yeah. A couple yeah. Of guys that have kind of been mentioned there at 12. Those are both interesting plays. Those are not the scoring guards that I mentioned. That's more of like a big scoring type four type player. Uh but I would yeah, I would not be shocked at all to see OKC move up. I would be shocked to see them move up by trading some current assets on their roster though. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could very well see that. We'll see how it all plays out. TJ, uh, you got a lot going on, not only just uh, there at Channel 8, but uh, some of the other stuff you're doing. Where can people uh, follow you and catch up with all you're doing, man? Yeah, you bet. I uh, appreciate that, Tyler. TJ Eckert, KTUL is the Twitter. Uh, and used to have a golf podcast, not doing that one with the, those specific people anymore, but make sure you follow Red Dirt Golf Collective. I think you'll like it, Tyler. I'm not sure if you've, if you've clicked on them yet. It's a couple guys that have started this brand and then there's another guy down in texas that's doing it as well and i joined on with them we have a radio show up in oklahoma city uh, so if you're in the oklahoma city area listening it's on 1077 the franchise on tuesday nights but it's just a golf website we highlight all the best golf courses in oklahoma and try and play golf and, and take cool pictures and have a lot of fun doing that so that's rdgc underscore okay for that on twitter that's it's a pretty fun website and i know you're kind of getting into golf you enjoy golfing so that I think you you would enjoy the website as well. Awesome. 
TJ, uh, next time I'm in town, we need to get. The, I need you to fix my swing. You know, uh, my my driver or something, man. You know, uh, I, I I hear you're. Uh, uh, I think Michelle says you're you're the king of Tulsa golf. You know. Okay, yeah. don't don't listen to anything Michelle Montaigne says. Nothing she says is true. I play enough <laughs> golf, but I'm not good enough to 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 wear the crown yet. I, I think John Holcomb still probably oh, yes. considers himself the king of Tulsa golf. Okay, yeah, I, I, either golf or tennis, maybe both. Uh, maybe both. Welcome, yeah. Uh, TJ, appreciate the time. Uh, thanks for joining us, man. We'll talk in down the line. Tyler, appreciate you, man. We'll do this anytime you want. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. You can find O'Connor Advisor Group online, OHGCast.com, O'Connor Advisor Group.com. He is the host of the Coach Bo Knows Podcast, out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts, and he joins us right now. Bo, always a, a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Uh, first and foremost, uh, very sad news. Uh, yes. The great one, the Iron Sheik, has uh, left the earth. I, I don't even like to say he died. Like, he left the earth. He's off to better things, um, and I'm sure he's entertaining, uh, you know, up in uh, his his next adventure in, in – some way, shape, or form, but uh, what a a legend uh, as a as an entertainer and a wrestler. But personally, like I I have had, I kid you not, Bo, since like probably 2019, 2020, I've had his Twitter notifications turned on. I've had to see every tweet because whoever ran his Twitter account did a fantastic job the last couple of years. Yeah. So Iron Sheik, you know, you know, I'm a wrestling guy. So Iron Sheik is one of my one of my guys. I love Iron Sheik, baby. Uh, <laughs> you know, that can do the whole thing. Um, and if you ever want to go down the like the hilarity uh, wormhole, go to YouTube and just search Iron Sheik shoot interviews and watch him insult people. Especially his favorite insult was Hulk Hogan. I, I joked this afternoon when I heard that Sheik died that uh, I said. Right now, he's waiting behind the pearly gates, and when Hulk Hogan gets there, he's going to be waiting for him. It's going to be on. Uh, yeah, but a legend. Uh, and and one of the great, like, he was one of the first wrestlers to do something on social media like that and to, like, become popular again because of social media. And, and I know he was a big, like, he was a Howard Stern. He kind of had a, a second career doing, like, guest spots on Howard Stern and different things like that where he just showed up his personality and just a hilarious, hilarious guy, great wrestler and a great story. There's a great Netflix documentary on him. The rock produced a few years ago talks about when he was back in Iran and he was the, the bodyguard for the Shah of Iran. He was an Olympic wrestler defected to America, how he did that. And it was amazing. It's an amazing story an amazing life. And, and here's what we mean as far as the Twitter persona goes, if you haven't seen this. Go ahead. Four days ago, he tweeted, My Little Pony, go F yourself. <laughs> that was part of his gimmick was that, like, he did do that on the Howard Stern show. It would be uh, Howard Stern would just make a mention of somebody, and Irish would say, Go fuck himself, or something like that. You know, fuck you, you know, and whoever it was. And he hated everybody at that time. And he admitted later that a lot of it was he had a drug issue and an alcohol issue, and uh, but he really we go. Uh, turned it around later. Six, six days ago, if you are someone's dirty little secret and you don't tell anyone, or you'll just be another regret, you are basically a dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that's cheek, that's cheeky right there. 
This is okay. Here's my all time favorite one from the Iron Sheik. I think Tom will appreciate this too. 700 Club, what kind of club are you? I'll be honest with you. I need you to hurry the F up and be over so my day of football and cold beer can start. <laughs> she is one of Referring, the of course, to the uh, the 700 Club with uh, Pat Robertson. But, yes, uh, Iron Sheik, rest in peace. What a legend. I uh, just want to take a moment to uh, honor Sheik. Uh, uh, the news of the day. Let's, uh, let's start with DeAndre Hopkins taking yeah. a visit with the Tennessee Titans. Ultimately, uh, his options aren't that great of where he could go to. He wants a deal similar to OBJ, about $15 million. Based on cap space, almost everybody spent all their money. There's only a few teams that have that type of money left. Tennessee uh, is one of those options. New England, Detroit. uh, And we had heard last week, Bo, that it was an arms race between Buffalo and Kansas City to get him. Now Albert Breer is reporting that uh, those two teams only want him if they can get him at a discount. How do you see this ultimately playing out? Uh, who it's going to end up? You know, who has a bad uh, training camp? Somebody get hurt? I don't think he signs till camp starts, and then we'll see what happens. I mean, we're already in what the first week of June. We're seven eight days in already. My guess, he doesn't sign for another three weeks, maybe, three or four yeah. weeks. So, I mean, get into camp, who has an injury, who doesn't like something. I was surprised to see um, DeAndre Hopkins talking to Tennessee, not because it's not a good fit. I mean, he's a, a fantastic player. He can be a fit wherever he goes. But the Titans seem like a team that doesn't know whether they want to, as my father would say, shit or go blind. Um, <laughs> they... They don't, they don't know whether they're really in a win-now mode or not. I honestly think it's kind of a front office thing. I think the front office kind of wants to go ahead and move on, but I think the coaching staff doesn't want to. So, I mean, if you go get DeAndre Hopkins, you might be a contender again, especially that division. So I think that could be part of it. Yeah. Um, Tennessee would be interesting. I think, and we talked about this last week, Bo, the best fit for him as far as if if he's wanting to get paid and wanting to get the money is Detroit. If his number one priority is winning and doesn't care about what he gets paid, Kansas City and Buffalo make the most sense. Yeah. But if it's wanting the combo of the two, Detroit still is the team that offers the best combination. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, like I said, we said that last week, I think if it's a combo thing, Detroit is the place I would go if I were him. If it's money, you know, he's going to get his pick of the litter in a lot of places. But if it's winning and winning now, I think it has to be Kansas City or Buffalo. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if both those teams get involved eventually. I think also those two teams are also looking at their roster in the hole and saying, okay, let's not make this money commitment right now because we don't know what hole we're going to have to fill in four or five or six weeks because someone's getting hurt or someone's not going to be in shape when they get to camp or not play well in camp, and we're going to have to make another decision. There's a lot of variance to what can happen here. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is going to have no shortage of suitors when it's all said and done. He's going to get paid, most likely, and I think he'll end up being on a winner as well. I think he's going to find the best of both worlds. 
the the team to me that that has cap space that is a good roster and everything and that could use him uh besides Detroit kind of in that same realm the Dallas Cowboys but we've heard Dallas straight up say they're not interested it's a big year for Dak um you know CeeDee Lamb is I think an incredible receiver and you got a good offense you know good players on that offense right like why would you not make a push for DeAndre Hopkins when you can? Yeah, I think he'd be the answer to a lot of quite a lot of problems there too. I, I think the big thing there is, I think sometimes we get coaches that they want more credit, and maybe they don't want to go get a player like that to say, "Oh, we, we we're going to go all in" or something. I he doesn't seem to come to me like a, as a Mike McCarthy kind of guy. Is what yeah. I'm, where I'm going with that. Um, but yeah, boy, if I was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys and I got Dak Prescott, you know, I like Dak Prescott a lot. Yeah. Well, I think giving him that target would be, we're going to know how good Dak Prescott really is. Cause I got a guy you can throw it to anywhere and he can get it. Yeah. Uh, and with that run game, they're going to be able to open up some, get some one-on-one stuff with him. Um, staying with Tennessee, Derek Henry says he's not concerned about trade rumors. Um, uh, I'm looking at the Tennessee team. We mentioned uh, with them being interested in D-Hop but not sure exactly the direction they want to go. I mean, with with your Tennessee, don't you have to decide sooner rather than later if you're all in on this season or not because yeah. you can trade Derrick Henry and get something out of him. He's going to be a free agent next offseason, so you're not going to be able to get anything next year. Ryan Tannehill, you could – move on from, try to get something out of him and turn things over to Will Levis here. Like, clock is ticking to to do something, right? Hey, yes, I 100% agree with you. And, and I think that that's part of the poor leadership of that franchise right now. I think that really and truly, it's a front office versus the head coach thing. I think we got a head coach that's saying, God, I he realizes that if, if they make these moves, they're not going to win. He thinks he's going to get fired for that. But there's a built-in excuse now. Hey, if we're not good because we don't have a quarterback or a running back, you know, you got to give me some leeway. I think if you're the Titans, the way to do it would be to give an extension to the coach and tell him we're making these trades. Okay, we say we're gonna we're gonna commit to you, but here's what we're doing moving forward. We don't think that Ryan Tannehill can get it done. We don't know we can get it done with the quarterback and the pieces we have. So let's get our biggest piece we can, which is Derrick Henry, get the max value for him right now too, and go all in and get and make and start anew. But by doing that, I've got to get my coach an extension so that he's on board. Yeah, yeah, I can very well see that. Uh, I I think you're onto something there, Bo. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, ultimately, uh, if they do move on from uh, Derrick Henry and, and move him out there. What are some of the potential teams? I, I, I think somebody like Miami, whether they land Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, somebody like Miami is a team that should be very desperate to add a, a, a primetime running back here, to, whether it's one of those two or whoever it may be. That's the first team I think of. What, what are some of these teams you think could be interested in guys, whether it be Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook, either one? Um, you know, it's, it's a great question. I was thinking about that because they're the two most likely available right now. Um, 
I think the Texans are someone that's going to look at running back and look at one of those guys, especially Dalvin Cook with the Texans makes a little bit of sense to me. Um, you know, the commanders, someone I can see looking at that, trying to be competitive in the East. They're going to have to have someone to run the ball. Another team I would think about is the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta Falcons are one or two pieces away from being very competitive in that division. It's a it's a down division. So I mean, you have Bijan Robinson and Cordell Patterson, though. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. The Bijan Robinson, I, can't, I keep forgetting that they have Bijan Robinson now. Um, and then the other one is the Cincinnati Bengals. What do they do with um, um, their current running back? Joe, Mix- also, Joe Mixon. Uh, yeah. Mixon. Sounds uh, like Joe they're committed Mixon. to Joe Mixon, but they haven't really replaced Samaje P. Ryan. Yeah, but I don't know that they're going to be 100% with, with Mixon. They haven't extended him. Yeah. And there's talk that he could be one of those. He and He's kind of in that Dalvin Cook window of we can probably save some money. Yeah, he's a player for – Go ahead, Tom. Sorry, he shot at those kids. They don't want to bring us. <laughs> I mean, but, he's tried to. If you're going to pay a running back for one more season and you compare Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, and Derrick Henry, which one would you rather just pay for the one year? Derek Dalvin Henry. Cook, take, Joe Mixon, Derek Henry. Derek Henry? I'd take Henry and then I'd take Cook over Mixon. Yeah. So if I'm going to pay for a running back for one season, which is effectively what you're going to do, go ahead and give me the bell, how, the bell cow. And I think that both those guys can be that. I don't know that Joe Mixon can be. P. Ryan was great at times because of the he was able to run certain types of plays that Mixon can't. Yeah. So I, I look at that one that way as well. I think there's – there's going to be some movement here in the whole running backs thing as well. Um, another note uh, that I want to get to, uh, Isaiah Rogers being investigated by the NFL for gambling. And, uh, you know, we've seen since the, uh, you know, we saw gambling legalized in a lot of states that more of these issues have popped up with other players around the league, most notably Calvin Ridley last year and Jameson Williams mm-hmm. this year. This one's a little bit different than the others. Now, we haven't seen a penalty come down yet, but we're expecting a pretty harsh one. What do you make of this yeah. situation? So this is a little different. You know, I was on here about a month ago. We talked about it linked the thing going on with the, with the Lions players and how the players on the Lions that got in trouble, it really had to do more about uh, they were gambling legally and where they were at with that. Um, so – when you think of it that way, you think of, okay, well, it's legal gambling. And it was more of a, hey, you just can't gamble on site. You can't do it on your phone here on the in the facility. But what we're seeing with this piece with Rodgers is that supposedly he actually bet on his own team, which mm-hmm. is a big no-no. You can't bet on any NFL games, which we've already seen that issue. Now, he bet on his own team, which is twofold an issue. One, it's you know, a big no-no as far as the rules. And two, it tells me he's not a very good gambler if he's betting on the Colts. <laughs> so, yeah. obviously, he's not too bright in this situation if that's what he's actually doing. So, if that's a situation where I don't mean to be funny about this. It, it is kind of funny. But if he's mm-hmm. really betting on his own team, that's a no-no. That's a that's a year suspension for me. I, I think that's 
the line that's an obvious line to be drawn. The other stuff that we saw with some of the Lions and some of the issues there, that one I kind of understood. That was three guys in the locker room or in a meeting room betting on their alma maters in the in the NCAA basketball tournament. Again, that's different. Right. That's just like the three of us going in and doing it. You know, if I was coaching a team, can't bet on my own team or against my own team. And it's pretty clear you shouldn't bet on the NFL if you're an NFL player. I I don't think, and I hate to sound like the narc, uh, you know, defending the league here, but I don't think they're honestly asking that much out of these players and coaches to be like, hey, can't bet on the NFL, can't bet on the in the facility. I don't think that's really asking that much. I, I, I don't think it is either. But what I do think the issue like with the Lions was it sounded like the, that information as far as betting the facility, that includes in the hotel on road trips. You know, I think that that information probably wasn't given as explicitly to yeah. those players. To the to the Lions players, this is different than that. This is just, this is common sense in a way, right? You should know if you have any kind of brains, and you're an NFL player, you know not to bet on an NFL game, and you know damn sure not to bet on your own team, right? Yeah, uh, I'm with you as far as that goes, and um, this definitely won't be the last of this. I mean, these gambling companies. Part of their agreements have partnership with the NFL is to turn over this data and everything. Bo, I, I would I would say that because of that, and, and you know, you're going to have people question the integrity of the game and all this. You know, when we have sports betting involved, the truth of the matter is that the league is actually cracking down more because these guys were already doing the offshore stuff, or uh, maybe they had a bookie or whatever they may be. The legalized sports betting and having this actually, I think, uh, you know, strengthens the integrity of the game. I think that it strengthens the integrity of the gambling piece. Absolutely. It takes it from a shady place and puts it where it can be regulated. That's no different than how we regulate anything in this country, whether it's drugs, prescription pills, alcohol, vehicles, guns, or anything else. Again, if we could do it legally... And fairly and equitably, that's fine. I think it takes away from that. Until we, until we don't have that and those rules and those laws in places, that's when there's an issue. Yeah, I think you're right about that. A couple more NFL notes. Uh, DeMar Hamlin, uh, back on the practice field. What a story, uh, considering you know yeah. this, this guy you know back in uh, the winter had literally died on the football field, was brought back to life. And everything that's transpired since. And, you know, two things here, Bo. Uh, for one, obviously a, a great story, great turnaround for DeMar Hamlin just to even be alive, let alone playing football again. But two, the people haven't really said this much, and, and I understand, but the Bills, when DeMar went down, missed him a lot. That secondary struggled without yeah. DeMar Hamlin at the end of the season last year, besides just the morale and the great story and everything on the football field, if DeMar Hamlin is back to 100% and everything, this is, this is big for that Bill's defense. Hey, there was some people that right around the time of the injury, right after the injury, um, 
that were saying that DeMar Hamlin might be a dark horse for the Pro Bowl. I mean, I know he hadn't been a starter for more than that season, but this is a guy that was well thought of and had earned his way, and he had really played some great ball. So it's an amazing story. He's healthy. It's an amazing story. He's back, and he plays up to what he was. And he still has plenty of room to grow. You know, this is not a, a situation where it was something that was a undisclosed, undiagnosed issue. This was simply a not dirty play that was just Freak hard action. and physical, an accident. And this is no different than being in a car accident. You come back from that. And, he, and DeMar Hamlin has. And my only fear, and again, we don't know how it's going to be yet because he hasn't been able to do it yet, is what happens when the pads come on and you start hitting people. So it's going to take him getting hit pretty hard for all the fear to go away. I mean, it's what happens anytime you have an injury in football. But once he gets to that point, man, it's going to help Buffalo quite a bit because he's a real good player. And I'll be even happier for him that he's, going to be, he's made it all the way back. Well, you, you get him back. You signed Leonard Floyd this week, um, you know, bringing him over from the Rams. And he really rejuvenated his career in Los Angeles after uh, his slow start to his career in Chicago. And Oliver's got a new extension, and, uh, you know, that kills those trade rumors that were out there. Yeah. I know that we talk a lot about Buffalo's offense. Buffalo's defense is really good, too. Well, they had a couple of injuries last year early that hurt them. And Von Miller. I mean, they had, yeah, Von Miller was the big one up front. And you figure that those things happen, and you go, man, if that defense is healthy all season long, uh, they go a long way, a long way. It's a three-team race, and Buffalo should not be forgotten. Their defense, I would say, is a lot better. Not just better, but a lot better than Cincinnati or Kansas City. I would agree with that 100%. I think that's the advantage they have, is you're going to have to play against that defense. If that defense stays healthy, that's going to be hard to beat. That's a complete team from 1 to 53. Yeah. 22 players on the field. You know, I mean, look, we love Kansas City's offense. It's the best offense in the league. You know, you can say the same things about the Bengals and some of the things they're doing, but nobody holds a, ca- a candle to 1-53 to in the AFC to what the Bills are. Yeah. I would, the Eagles are in their category in the NFC, but that's 1-53, to a complete team. Those two teams are head and shoulders to me. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Let's uh, shift gears over to uh, the college football side of things. Um, And a a couple headlines there. Pac-12, we've heard that they have agreed verbally to a grant of rights agreement. But if we've learned anything, uh, as Tom and I were discussing earlier in the show, these verbal agreements mean absolutely nothing. Uh, Go back to the so-called alliance between the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC, where they weren't going to be taking each other's teams, and less than a year later, USC and UCLA were in the Big Ten. Um, Verbal agreement in place, but it's with the assumption that they have a good TV deal and they get that done. Latest reports are that they're nowhere close to getting a TV deal done. Um, Bo, what what do you make of uh, this whole uh, Granite Wright situation with Pac-12 right now? 
the Pac-12, it seems like they don't, they're not together yet. I mean, you got Colorado who's just waiting for the shoe to drop to say we're out of here. Um, Arizona seems to be the one that wants to hold things together because they think they're going to be the top dog. Arizona State. Uh, Arizona State. No, Arizona is the one that's trying to keep everything together right now. They're the ones saying that they're not going anywhere. That no, it, it's that, Arizona State that said that publicly. I just read it this just just earlier today. Let me pull this back up. Arizona President Bobby Robbins on Wednesday said he does not expect to. That he expects they're going to stay together. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, I just, I just. This is as of six thirty this evening. So I mean, okay. this is what the yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there was something from Arizona State's president a couple yeah. of days ago. It's the same page. And, and Arizona State wants to be with Arizona. They want to stay together. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the Arizona State would like to be there, too. I think the issue is, we talked about last week, Coach Prime's got a lot of, a lot of stroke. And he is the kind of stir that straws the drink, the, the straw that stirs the drink now. And with that, if he gets Colorado to the Big 12, and Colorado fires that team to match up to be to keep it an even number. That's going to hurt the Pac-12. The Pac-12, though, they're not going to grant those rights until they know they've got a good deal in place, because they don't have a lot of faith in their higher major commission. Right. With everything going on, and everything that has happened, they realize that they've dropped from a top tier conference to a second tier. You could probably even argue they're the third tier. And with that, you got to look at it and go, well, there's not a lot of trust there. So I wouldn't grant legally the rights till I know what the, what the options are going to be. Because I'm not going to let you put me in a bad in a bad spot. Well, then, what if you about- make this mistake now, let me finish real quick. I'm sorry. If you make a bad decision here, it's going to affect you moving forward for a couple of generations. Because – the, the merry-go-round's going, and we're going to run out of chairs. So what about this whole narrative shift in the in the goalpost changing? Uh, we, we heard, you know, that uh, the, the Pac-12 was, you know, all happy, kumbaya. They were going to stay together no matter what. And, you know, that, oh, the Big 12 is not coming for our schools. They're not going to get any of them whatsoever. And now it sounds like Colorado – you know, things are shifting towards momentum is building for them to go to the Big 12. And all of a sudden, the narrative is, oh, well, we'll just go get San Diego State. We don't need Colorado. Uh, I wasn't hearing that for the last year plus uh, about this. And, and you know, the idea of San Diego State, I, I'm thinking about in the Big 12's perspective here, Bo, if you get Colorado and their team number 13, in a perfect world – you go get Arizona or one of those other four corner pack 12 schools to go with Colorado. But if Colorado can't get a running mate within their own conference, then what do you do? I know your Mark's been pushing UConn. My idea, I was thinking about this. If you could make the money work um, and you want to really talk about killing a narrative and all this, what about the big 12 takes Colorado, and if it comes down to choosing between San Diego State or UConn, go ahead and take San Diego State, take the West Coast school, get another West Coast you know, time zone here, yeah. um, and you also take the lifeboat away from the Pac-12. To me, that, that would that, that'd be great uh, for the Big 12 to 
really put a, a squash to the pack. It, it also gives you a, a, a sports program in San Diego State that wants to play both football and basketball. Yes. They're competitive in both. UConn's competitive in basketball, but not so much in football. Right. And that's an issue. UConn makes sense to me in the Big 12 only if you grab Gonzaga and we do that basketball only thing. Right. That's the only way UConn makes a whole lot of sense to me. I agree. Um, I I think, and we've talked about this earlier, Tom and I did, UConn and Gonzaga make sense as basketball-only members. I'm fine with that. You can sign, seal, deliver, make that happen. But UConn, like, you got to show me that you are invested in your football program, that you are not, that you're actually going to put money in. I know they went to a bowl game this year. Jim Moore Jr. is doing a good job. But you got to show me that what the long term plan is for that football program. Yeah, I, I don't know that. I, I don't think it's there right now, and I I tend to agree with you. It also makes it so difficult with going that far. I mean, you've already got this thing stretched out with USF in there and BYU, and then you know, who else? You you may be adding Colorado to go all the way out to UConn to some of these games. If if you're going to bring them in for all sports, that to me is another issue. I don't, I don't have the problem if you could pair two teams out there somehow. You know, I don't know who that would be as a partner for UConn, but you'd have to get two. Right. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. Bo, uh, we are out of time uh, this week, but uh, always a pleasure chatting with you. What's uh, on the Coach Bono's podcast this week? Well, you're on the Coach Bono's podcast this week. That's right. Uh, we, we just recorded one a little bit ago. Thank you for coming on, that's, by the way. That's what we, we call it. Yes. Yeah, a little special uh, little special midweek that should be out uh, soon. That's going to be just you and I talking about the PGA, the Live, the DP world, this whole big sports story with this. I think it's a sports story, sports business story, the business of 2023. This is going to be humongous. Yes, in so many different ways, and I like to see what's going to happen here. Uh, so we got that piece that's already recorded and ready to go, and we'll get that produced and done. And then uh, come Friday's podcast, we're going to have Ellen be back to do the point five with me. She'll be talking about the NBA Finals, uh, everything going on there. Uncle Rico is going to come in. We're going to do a little more about the PGA, a little bit of football, and then I'm going to preview also college baseball. College World Series, uh, college uh, Super Regionals are here, and I love college baseball now. This is getting fun. We're down to the last, the last uh, sixteen teams. And uh, have you been following us at all, Tyler? Do you watch anything this past weekend? Uh, I've been got- watching, been watching college baseball. Been watching the uh, women's College World Series as well. And uh, this is a great time of year for for both. Uh, I, I I can't get into the non-con or conference play that much when it comes to college baseball. But when you, when you get to June, like it's, it's must see TV and the everything about, I've been to the college world series several times living in Omaha and everything. And, and I mean, it it just, just fantastic. I I love everything about it. And, and uh, even, even the metal bats like are a nice change of pace from the, uh, the MLB game. I'll know if I'm going to the College World Series by the end of the weekend, hopefully, because if LSU makes it, I'll be there. So, yeah, I we're down to we're down to 
And then, hey, what's up with the Big 12 teams not doing so well in this college baseball tournament? Uh, not ideal. Uh, TCU, though, <laughs> getting to host the regional, though, uh, that should have been at Indiana State, but the uh, yeah, they that should that. totally be that should totally be in Indiana State that they got robbed in that deal. They, they should move that over to them. They they deserve it. They're going to win it too. Well, uh, I mean, it was Indiana State that declined on their own. Yeah, but they they should have they should have taken it. I mean, that's they're going to uh, they're going to win that super regional. I think we'll so, see. Bo, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll uh, we'll catch thank you. Thank you. You take care. Have a good one. Final segment before we go. Time for our top fullery story of the week. Thomas Bridges standing by to tell us something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where shall we go to this time? Jones, uh, we're going to the concert venue, baby. Um, And maybe the biggest concert out right now, or the biggest tour going on, is none other um, than probably your favorite country artist, Taylor Swift, and the Errors Tour. Now, I do know some people, actually several, that have been to this tour. And the amount of money that they spent is quite ridiculous. And, uh, you know, Taylor Swift fans, or Swifties as they're called, have known to be pretty crazy. This takes it to a whole nother level, Jones. This has come from popbuzz.com. And actually, we would have done this one last week because this did get released last week. And as soon as we got done recording, I popped on Reddit and saw this story. And I thought, man, damn, just missed it by a little bit. And it was so good that we saved it for a week. And like I said, popbuzz.com, Taylor Swift fans are wearing adult diapers to the Errors Tour so they don't miss any songs. Now, Jones, before I get there, I get it because the the whole Taylor Swift ticket deal where the tickets were bought, people got tickets, and they rescinded the tickets and was like, no, Ticketmaster screwed everybody, so we're going to give everybody another fair shot to do it. Some of the people that got tickets the first time didn't get tickets the second time. Tickets were stupid expensive, all this other stuff. Um, so they spent a shit ton of money on the tickets. So in some way, I get that. Um, but I've spent 400, 450 on a courtside seat in San Antonio to see the San Antonio Spurs play. And I still got up after drinking copious amounts of mixed drinks courtside. I still got up during the game and went to the bathroom. I mean, it's serious, but it's not that serious. You know, now if you're front row at a general admission show and like you're on the rails, and if you leave, you'll never get that spot back. Sure. I mean, I'm all for pissing those pants, baby. Like, 100%. If anything, you won't get crushed because everyone's like, oh, man, he just pissed his pants. No one wants to, you know, be around someone like that. But article continues, the amount of stress and time it took me to get Taylor Swift tickets, I will be getting an adult diaper because I'm not missing a minute of it. Question for the audience. Would you wear an adult diaper to a three-hour concert in order to not miss a single song? Well, seems like some of Taylor Swift fans are doing exactly that. In case you haven't been keeping up with Taylor and her Mammoth Eras tour, the superstar performs a whopping 44 songs from her and from her impressive discog each night with the show running for just over three hours. 
44 songs. I, you know, usually that's double concert time. I think, you know, John Mayer, my favorite artist, plays about 22, 23 songs. So to get a whole nother concert out of them for the price, I think that's fair. And with three hours of nonstop bangers, bops, and ballads, any time spent queuing to the toilet could mean you'll miss at least one song on the set list. The solution? Adult diapers, apparently. TikTok user Madeline Dolloway recently went viral on the app after posting a video of herself attempting to put one on underneath her golden fearless theme outfit. And it turns out there's quite a few Swifties who have deployed the very same tactic for the show just in case. Another user wrote, no one knows I'm wearing a diaper for this until you tell the whole fucking world. Um, alongside a clip of them in their seat, they later revealed they were joking in the comments. I, I doubt it. Back in March, another TikTok person shared a video and wrote, the amount of, like, yeah, like I said, the amount of stress and time it took to get to Taylor Swift tickets, I will be getting an adult diaper because I'm not missing a minute of it. Surviving the great war of Ticketmaster and then missing the all-too-well 10-minute version, Taylor's version, from the, <laughs> from the vault, just because you need to be, just because you needed to pee, couldn't be me. The reaction <laughs> to the for Swift movement have been mixed. While some people are hailing the move as the highest form of Swifty dedication, others aren't quite convinced. And for those worried about the long cues for the lose during the show, fans have been reassuring others that there's no need to worry. Bestie, I was at Eras. There was plenty of time to go to the restroom. Plenty, one user said. Another added, the bathrooms are empty during the show. We sprinted, we went, sprinted back, and missed like one-third of a song we were okay missing. So choose your errors tour. Choose your errors tour, Lou Break, wisely. Jones, who are you pissing your pants for? Uh, nobody. Um, I'll say this. When I was at Garth Brooks's concert a couple years ago, Bad timing on my part, Tom. I went to use the restroom during uh, a song that I didn't really know, whatever. And as I came out, it was right as he was beginning to sing Baton Rouge. Oh. Now, I did get to see most of it, but I was mad at myself. Like, oh, terrible timing. I wanted to see all of Baton Rouge. I wanted to call Baton Rouge and... You know, my my Samantha Deer, you know, in, in its entirety. And it, it was bad timing on my part. Um, yeah, but and no, nothing else. Like if they said, hey, we'll give you Super Bowl sideline passes and the Chiefs are playing whoever. Let's say that, the, yeah, the Chiefs are playing whoever in the Super Bowl. I almost said the Steelers and then I realized. But for what it's worth, Chiefs are playing your Seahawks. And Chad Sports said, you know what, Jones, you can just go. You can just go. We, we don't, we're not worried about the Super Bowl uh, live stream. Just go. You got the Super Bowl of the lifetime opportunity. You have, from the time you get on the sideline, you have to drink beer all the whole time, right? Here, beer after beer. You got to, you know, regular timing. You don't have to chug one, but just normal beer drinking. From the time you get on the sideline to the pregame. And then if you leave the sideline to go to the bathroom, you have to leave the stadium. Are you? Are but you can all oh, you can wear an adult diaper or you cannot. But you would essentially have to piss your pants on the sideline to stay down there. 
Well, in this crazy hypothetical, you, you've given me no choice because I'm not leaving the stadium during the Super Bowl. Uh, I so guess you're, you're in that pissed, case. You're pissing your pants to watch the Super Bowl. In that case, Sunday. yeah, I would like wear an adult diaper or something to not miss the Super Bowl. I'm not leaving the stadium in the Super Bowl. Now, um, when you piss your, when you piss your pants in the adult diaper, do you kind of hide the hide like shy away, or is it one of those pissing in the pool moments where you just act calm, cool, and collected? And don't and for anybody coming for me, don't act like you'd never peed in a pool with other people in it. I right. I will not. Everyone's peed in the pool, and everybody's peed in the shower, too. Don't act like you've never peed in the shower. Peeing in the shower is a perfectly normal, fine thing. Um, peeing in the pool, although it's frowned upon, everybody's done. Exactly. Uh, are you, so are you shine away? you kind of hiding away? or just going to stand there? So and all your I think about this. There was a uh, – a few years ago, there was a Kevin Harvick – this is a Sports Center commercial. And oh, <laughs> yeah. And Kevin's yeah. like, hey, guys, look at that waterfall there. He's like, I'm going to take a minute just to look. <laughs> and they're like, what? Why? Yeah. And uh, he's just sitting there just acting normal and just like in awe of the thing. That's what I would do. I would try to play it off like, um, you know, just just try to look at as normal as I could. Or, you know what, you, you guys, uh, give me a minute. I, I need to check something on my phone here, you know, whatever. Something like that, you know. Look, scroll through Twitter while taking a leak. Right. Yeah, that would be that would be my uh, game plan there uh, if if I had to uh, in a, in that situation. But here's the thing: here is uh, my my million dollar plan here, Tom, of not missing out on these things, so you don't have to get up and go to the bathroom during it. Don't drink liquids. Don't eat crazy amount of food they'll make you have to take a dump like i mean that's all it comes down to here like if if i'm on the road tom when i'm driving somewhere i intentionally try not to drink a ton of liquid because i don't want to pull over to stop just to piss if i i'll drink a decent amount of liquid if i know i gotta stop and get gas at some point but if i'm like driving from dallas to tulsa for example and i already got gas I'm using the bathroom before I go, and I'm not trying to drink any liquid while I'm driving because the last thing I want to do is waste time pulling over to piss. All uh, is your, is your bladder? Like, you got a small bladder? Are you like, a, if you drink like three bottles of water on a drive, are you going to have to stop to piss? Uh, I wouldn't say that. If I like, if I get one of those those tall come and go or you know quick trip drinks. If I drink one of those, then after a couple hours, like if I drink it within the first hour, let's say, I'm going to have to go within sometime in the next couple hours. If I get me one of those big, uh, big, you know, 48-ounce drinks or whatever. See, I feel like in that department, I'm pretty good. I Because I can tell you, let's see, my most recent long road trip that I can think of. I'm trying to think what would have been the long, well, the most recent. I guess it would have probably, the, I'm trying to think, the last time I've just driven somewhere super far. It's been a decent amount of time, but I can remember going to San Antonio from Bartlesville, which is a 10-hour drive, leaving my house in Bartlesville, and driving all the way from Bartlesville to Waco, Texas without having to take a leak. 
did stop in Waco and take a leak, but there are times where I've driven eight, nine hours to a destination and not peed once. And then obviously had like, you know, got a Red Bull to start with and then like a full liter bottle of water or more for the road. That's, that's my only claim to fame. I have friends, um, uh, your, our, our buddy, Simon Daughtry, Evan. Oh yes. He has a notoriously small bladder. So anytime you take him on a road trip, like, you know, we did, me and him went to Fayetteville, which is only like two hours. So not bad, but if it had been anything longer than that, we probably would have had to stop so he could have peed. So not try to expose everybody, but uh, I think we've gone that route already. Uh, friend of the show, Derek Haglin. I, I remember we drove from uh, Kansas City to Tulsa one time, and I think we stopped twice so he could piss. I see. I believe that. And then I'll tell you what. So, okay, here's one. I went and DJed a wedding last summer in Denver. Well, actually in uh, Aspen, Colorado. And I dropped my dad off at my cousin's house in Colorado Springs. I told him, you've never really seen Colorado. Just go hang out with my cousins for the for the week, for the weekend. I'm going to go DJ's this wedding. And then on the way back through, I'll pick you up and you can see Colorado and hang out with your with your nephews. Um, and so I was like, all right, all right, we'll do that. And so literally on the way there, like it's from, and I left, you know, I picked him up in Bartlesville and we headed towards Colorado and, um, no lie. Uh, I think on the way to Colorado, which to Colorado Springs is about 10 and a half hours, maybe. Yeah. Um, we stopped no lie about six times. We would have made it a lot quicker. On the way back, I'll not, I will shit you not, John Bridges. He, we stopped, um, um, I'm trying to think. We stopped at like a truck stop. He peed and I got gas. Not 30 minutes later, he was like, oh, you got to pull on the side of the road right here. I said, what? He said, I, you got to go right now. He said, pull off on the side of the road. And I was like, I, he's, I was like, you got to pee? And he's like, yep, I'm about to piss in this car. He's like, you better do it right now. And he started to grab a water bottle to piss in the front seat. And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and, and he, uh, sure enough, I pulled over and he peed right on the side of the road. And then on the way back, I think, I think it, I think his pee breaks cost us an hour drive time. Um, so that's what we have to look forward to as we get older, Jones. So, I hope my mom's not listening, but uh, I'll admit this, Tom. Um, the last time I drove back to Tulsa, uh, when I was, you know, visiting family, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I, I drank one of those infamous 48 ounce, you know, love fountain drinks. I'm talking about a Dr. Pepper. And in addition to a water bottle. And I was good on gas. And I was like, I think at this point I was in McAllister. I had an hour and a half to get get home. And like, I made up my mind, I'm not stopping. And so, Tom, I put the car in cruise control and I pissed in the styrofoam cup while keeping the car in cruise control, did my business, put the cup there, and then uh, 
made it, and uh, no problem. Didn't have to stop and pull over and kept the car on the road. So how long was a full cup of piss in your car while you were driving? Uh, it, it was there for about an hour and a half. So it had that nice ferment smell, huh? <laughs> well, you got, you're fermenting wine in that son of a bitch. <laughs> and then on top of that, too, so when I got there, I met up with my parents for dinner, and afterwards, my mom's like, oh, let me ride in the car with you uh, back home. I'm like, oh, hold on a second. <laughs> let me so, toss this big old cup of yellow lemonade out of here later. So she was, I, I said, hold on a second. And so I turned around where she couldn't see, poured out the piss and threw the cup in, away. And I said, all right, yeah, yeah, we're good now. You know, so. <laughs> I mean... I'm trying to think. I don't know if I've I've peed in multiple bottles of my life, but I don't know that I've ever peed one while driving a car. <laughs> now I have peed it's in a special one. set of skills. We'll put it that way. I mean, yeah. I mean, I have peed in a bottle while being a passenger in the back seat of a car. Now, um, um here speaking of peeing, since we're putting this all out there, I'll, I'll say this: um, the when Tyler I, Jones tell-all. Yeah, the talk, tell out, and this involves Tom. Actually, he he, he oh. has no idea what I'm about to say. Actually, oh, I'm so, scared. When I was in college, uh, you know, and, and having to be in the dorms, uh, I was a little annoyed that, like, damn, I got to go down the hall to go use the bathroom. What if I had to go during the middle of the night, whatever? Well, then Tom, I was telling Tom this, and he said, "Well, here's what you need to do." Um, he said, "I, I do this myself." Just keep a Gatorade bottle by your bed, and then if you need to go piss, then uh, just just pee in the bottle, and you don't have to get out of bed and keep it by your uh, nightstand, or whatever, and then you can throw it away in the morning. So my uh, my my first two years of college in the dorms uh, in the community bathroom that's uh, that's how I made it by. Thanks to uh, Tom's advice of pissing in the bottle. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not walking down in fucking tidy waddies, fucking all the way down the hall. Like, I never had to deal with that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not. I mean, like, uh, oh, that. You know where? You know where that pro tip came from? That pro tip came from camping. I was not about to walk across the vastness of Copan Lake campgrounds at night just to, you know, just to take a leak and. There was fire going and other people, so I wasn't trying to, like... I, I could have went and picked a tree real quick, but the bottle was the closest thing to me. Yeah, that's that's where I learned that trick. That's a camping trip right there. If you can't comfortably pee on a tree or if you can't get away from people, um, you know, and you can only get to one spot, yeah. Take that baby and piss right in that lemon la lemonade or that lemon-lime bottle. Keep that damn thing there. No one will oh. know. Just long, you got to make sure no one's gonna drink it though. Right. That'd be a shame, wouldn't it? So while we're on the tell-all, I'll uh, I'll say this. I won't expose their name though. I I, I didn't mind mentioning Tom, but I'll, I'll I'll keep this person's name private. It uh, I'll, I'll tell Tom off the air who it is. Uh, but somebody very close to this show, a very good friend of this show, um. I was traveling with uh, not too long ago. This is like back in April. And this uh, this individual, uh, we, we were finishing up. We finished up dinner at the Waffle House, which in of itself is its own story. And we're, we're leaving 
And, you know, we get in the car, whatever, and get the GPS going. And uh, he says, uh, I got to go use the bathroom real quick before I go. I, okay. And I'm thinking he's going to run back in the Waffle House, go use the restroom. I turn around the other direction, and he's pissing in front of a garbage can. I'm like, the the the, the, the Waffle House had a restroom right there. He's like, I know, I know, but this is just quicker. And then, like, the rest of that road trip, this uh, this friend of ours that shall not be named probably peed outside at least two, maybe three more times uh, in, in that uh, excursion uh, uh, there. So uh, that was uh, – I, I got very uh, – uh, familiar, very became uh, closer than I expected to be with this individual on that trip. Yeah, I mean, you you bring in a Waffle House, so I'm sure that first time had to have some alcohol involved because that, to be honest, that sounds like a drunk Tom moment. I have done that. Actually, I've, I've this this individual, this individual Tom, no alcohol was involved. Completely sober. Damn. So that is that is a time I've I've. I have risked many of public indecencies down back alleys peeing before. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, okay. I'll, you want to talk about funny pee stories here? Me okay. and Meg, we were, this is this is before we were drinking a whole lot. We used to cruise around. We used to smoke black and milds or cigars or whatever. Black and, and milds, of course you did. Yeah, yeah, we used to cruise around and, you know, just jam out, listen to music. Hell, we used to drive around. Well, one night we were like, this is me and Meg. We're cruising around Bartlesville, jamming out, you know, wasting gas. So we pulled up on the ho- the hospital parking lot and to the, to the top of it, you know, and we're going to, like, sit there. And I think we were smoking, a, a like, a cigar. So we were doing something just bullshitting outside. On It's, like, midnight. I'm like, man, I got to piss. We're not trying to leave to go anywhere real quick. I'm like, yeah, I just opened the kind of the door and, like, you know, kind of pissed behind the door. There's nobody up there. And about that time, I finished taking a leak. We get in the car to leave. And the hospital security pulls up, like, as we're starting to get in the car. And they're like, did you just pee outside? It turns out it's it's my dad's friend. And I was like, Dale, what are you? I said, I didn't know you work hospital security. And he goes, he's like, he's like, listen, I didn't know it was you up here until I started looking at the camera. And I thought, <laughs> man, that's Thomas. And he's like, he said, you just took a leak up here. And he like pointed at the obvious puddle on the ground. He was like, he was like, man, he was like, he was like, I cracked up when I saw it was you. He was like, <laughs> he's, like he's like, but if it wouldn't have been for me, he said the other guy uh, that was there watching the footage started to call the cops on your ass. And I told him, whoa, whoa, I know this guy. He's like, so I just saved your ass. He said, he said, don't think we can't see everything here at the hospital. <laughs> And then now every time I see him, he's like, man, what you been up to? Pissing on any more hospital roofs or what? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, damn. And he told my parents, they were like, they were like, you dumbass. And I had, I had Mig hadn't been drinking, but I had, but, um, yeah, that was a funny one. I didn't think the Taylor Swift story would turn into just, uh, nostalgic, nostalgic times taking a piss. You know, there, there's something freeing about pissing outside. You know, like I, I got, I got a balcony uh, where I live in my apartment, and when it's dark, sometimes you know, like because there's trees covering anyway, so people can't see me. I'm like, you know what? 
I just feel free just pissing off the balcony rather than, uh, you know, going to the bathroom. You know, there's I mean, yeah, like peeing on a tree, whatever. I mean, you, it, it's empowering. You know, like women talk about empowerment. You know how men get empowered by pissing outside. When's the last time I can tell you the last time I pissed outside? It was actually very recent. Um, it would have been within the last couple of weeks. Oh, you? For me, yeah. You went to that, yeah, I saw you post that picture on Instagram of pool time. You pissed in that pool. Oh, I, I probably did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is, the last time I pissed outside, I had, uh, this is when I had Copper at my house. He wasn't, my, when I say Copper, my, for those of you who don't know, my, uh. His former uh, dog, he abandoned it. And I did not. My mom took him in, and he's living a much better life with a backyard than one cooped up in an apartment. As soon as I get a house, I'll steal his ass back. But So I let him out. And mind you, this is like February. It's cold as shit. The dog's got to go pee outside. And so I'm like, all right, all right. So I'm hurrying up. He's trying to get to the door. He's, you know, he's still at this point, still puppy. He's still a puppy, but he's good now. But try potty training you know i'm like come on come on he's telling me he needs to go pee outside and at the same time though i have to pee really bad but obviously i'm not gonna like keep him in there and let him pee in the house while i use the restroom so he's taking forever outside to pee and i'm doing the pee dance and where i'm at like the in inside of the apartment like in the like my front porch area is kind of hidden and so he, dog's taking a leak right there, and I just whip it out and take a leak right there with him. Just right in the little flower bed area. That's had great. To. We got to go on that note. Uh, we got to wrap up this we, show. We, yeah, we got to go. We got to go pee. Yeah, we, we got to go, go piss. Pee. Yeah. <laughs> Big thanks to TJ Eckert for uh, joining us. Uh, Coach Bo, as always, um, and the one and only Thomas Bridges. We'll uh, – We'll see you next time uh, here on the Jonesport. Use the uh, have you know be be careful when you're when you're pissing outside. We're we're not uh, recommending you guys do it without uh, with just don't get arrested. Some coverage, yeah. Some yeah, use, use some coverage. coverage, right? Have a fall guy, as uh, Chris Carter once said. You know, have a piss fall guy. That was not my guy. dick, sir. That was his dick. <laughs> That's what you got to do. Um, I remember there was a chick I liked at one point that that uh, she was trying to give me a piss outside. I'm like, and, and and I was very intoxicated. And later on, I'm like, oh, maybe she was trying to see something else, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there but, you go. There you go. We got to go. Um, follow us social media, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, Twitter at Thomas underscore Bridges, Twitter uh, at studio underscore soapbox, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Instant Thomas, Jones underscore report. You can find us there. Subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Check out the Studio Soapbox Network. This show, the Coach Bo Knows Podcast. Let's go racing with David Starr and more. Search Studio Soapbox to listen to all of our shows, and you'll be glad you did. For our entire crew, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of Jones Sport. We'll see you next week.